0: Dear listener, greetings and a warm welcome. Thank you for tuning into Life Learnings. We're delighted to have your company. Life Learnings is a program that shares information with people. It can be people's experiences, their life journey, but also their expertise in specific areas. Now, I have a very interesting guest with me in the studio today, and her name is Leanne Smith. Leanne, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here.
0: It's lovely to have you. Now, you have a very unique occupation. Perhaps you can tell us, before we start about the occupation, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you live and work.
1: Well, I live in Toowoomba in sunny Queensland. Oh, that's
0: a beautiful place, yeah. And
1: I have a wonderful husband and a beautiful 12-year-old daughter.
0: Okay, so you're a mum and a wife.
1: I'm a mum and a wife, and I run a couple of small businesses as well. well,
0: You sound like you'll be very busy. So uh, tell us a little bit about your occupation. What do you do?
1: Well, I'm a breathing retrainer and an oral facial
0: myologist. Okay, well, you'll have to explain both of those. Let's start with a breathing retrainer. What is a breathing retrainer?
1: Well, a breathing retrainer looks at people's breathing habits and how they interact with health. Hmm. There's research that shows us that Breathing habits impact a number of health conditions quite markedly. Okay. And improving breathing habits can change health and improve it. So we look at things like asthma, snoring, sleep apnea, panic disorder, hay fever. These are all conditions. Even crowded teeth in children um, can be a result of poor breathing is that, I know people, is that Right? People give me the strangest looks, but you know it all makes sense. And yeah. Okay. So this day, is scientific. This is not just. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, breathing retrainers work naturally on those on those conditions to supplement what people might be doing medically.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a fascinating conversation. I'm, I'm. We will. I'm looking forward to learning a lot about the importance of breathing, because I mean, obviously. Um, breathing is probably the most important thing you, you can die within a matter of minutes if you don't breathe Absolutely. Second to that would be water And I guess in third to that would be food But breathing is the, one of the most important things we do for, for life and vitality So I can understand that this is a very important aspect of our being And if we do that wrong, that would make sense That would have some sort of a health impact on us
1: Yeah, as I say, oxygen is king
0: Oxygen is king, okay, fantastic Now the other part of it you mentioned Which is one that's actually even uh, a little bit more Intriguing. Is is it the Orofacial myologist?
1: Yeah, oral facial myology.
0: Now, what does that what does that entail?
1: Well, it, it's about the muscle use of the face, okay. and the lips, and the tongue,
2: hmm.
1: and uh, particularly children can develop patterns of muscle use that are not good for their health, and they can also develop um, oral facial habits. Okay. So it could be as simple as biting fingernails or sucking dummies Hmm. and bottles and not being able to give these things up, sucking fingers and thumbs. Okay. And all of these things impact the development of the face. Um, Also, mouth breathing. And, of course, that is a breathing habit. And this is why I work with oral facial myology uh, as well as being a breathing retrainer. So one complements the other? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I use oral facial myology with children who have a mouth breathing habit which is adversely impacting their health.
0: Okay. So I was just going to ask you, so mouth breathing is good or bad, but it sounds like that's something we want to avoid. You want to breathe through the nose?
1: Absolutely. You know, God gave us a nose for a very good reason. (laughs) Otherwise, yeah,
0: what purpose would it serve (laughs) other than holding up your glasses? (laughs) Okay. Oh, Well, that's fascinating. So um, I wonder if we can maybe just step back because – I mean, how you got into this field it would be a fascinating story. So can we just step back a little bit and you can tell us how you ended up where you, where yeah, you are Yeah,
1: sure. Moment. You know, this story is very much born out of my own personal experience. Okay. I grew up with lots of colds and flus and always sick as a mm. child, suffered with um, airborne allergies quite severely, right. uh, developed a chronic cough in my late teens, early 20s, that really started to dominate my life. Mm. I ended up starting to miss a lot of work just because my coughing was so far out of control. It was finally diagnosed as an asthmatic cough, probably in my early 30s. Oh, really? And at that stage, I was put on a, a medication, but the asthma continued to get worse. They added more medication, and then we ended up (laughs) I remember doing the hospital runs because, you know, my breathing was so bad and I was struggling to breathe. So my asthma was really getting out of control and I ended up on a lot of medication for my asthma. Um, But around that time, probably, you know, my late my late 30s um, my husband and i hadn't had a child mm. so we went on to the ivf program and it was while i was on the F- ivf program my asthma was still playing up and eventually my doctors said to me look leanne you really your asthma is not well enough controlled to be on the ivf program yeah um you need to get off of some of this medication mm. before we can really put you back on it so then i knew that i had to find a non-pharmaceutical solution for my asthma and at the time, I was a registered nurse, uh, and I did a lot of research into things that might be able to be done to help my asthma uh, and my chronic cough, so that I could get back to this program and have a child.
0: Okay. So, okay. So you've got a, a nursing background as well. Yes. Okay, yes, so, I do. So that, okay. So that's complementary to where you find yourself at the moment, no doubt.
1: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, and how that played in was that when I found this this breathing technique called Botoko breathing and I researched it, I recognised instantly why it might work because I was a registered nurse. I was well-versed in looking after ventilated patients in intensive care. Okay. I understood blood gases and the role of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the body. Hmm. And when I read about the Batako technique, I thought, this has to work. And so I actually found a trainer um, and was, she accepted me into a program Um, She was already booked out, but I think this copping, wheezing person on the other end of the phone, she felt sorry for me, put me into the program. And within three or four days, I was off half my medication and feeling better than I'd felt in months and months. Mm. And several months more, I was off all my medication. Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's remarkable. So you, by experience, received the benefits from from these breathing techniques? Absolutely. And learning how to breathe properly? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm curious why why would people end up breathing incorrectly? I mean how do those how do we form those habits?
1: Well, you know, that's a really good question because every baby is born breathing through its nose. Okay. And every baby is born breathing very gently. In fact, we tiptoe into their rooms to check that they are actually still breathing. Right. You know, we look at them very carefully. But you take that same person, you know, 60 years later, and sometimes at night, there is no doubt they're breathing. You can hear them, you know, you can hear the snoring like three, three blocks away. <laughs> <laughs> so breathing does change over a lifetime.
2: Yeah.
1: And it's, it's like other bodily systems, I guess. Um, hmm. You take things like weight control or our eyesight, our hearing. S- things can deteriorate over yes, a lifetime sure. as a result of often lifestyle influences. And hmm. breathing is no different. So the things that change our breathing, often a lot of stress, can change our breathing, uh, grief and loss. Sometimes it's simply as simple as getting a blocked nose. Uh, Okay. Okay? So for children, this is often the case. Uh, Their uh, diets are much more inflammatory. Mm. And so noses block and then a child switches to mouth breathing and it just unleashes a cascade of happenings in the body. Mm. Uh, So there's some of the things that change our breathing. We're not as physically active. Uh, as we okay. used to be there are dietary things that interact with our breathing as well so there's there's a whole cascade of things that can happen
0: mm, It's interesting I was just talking to someone over the weekend who um, has had a lot of stress they had to deal with actually burnt out and they just had a problem they couldn't breathe they, they struggled to breathe they just, there was something wrong and then they thought maybe they had asthma they tested that and then they did like a a lung capacity test, and they finally figured out it was just stress. They were just over that is overtaxed. Ex- yeah,
1: that's exactly expense. the sort of person that I work with.
0: Is that right? Yeah,
1: yeah. So
0: breathing can be a big part of the recovery, but they may be in that situation not only because of the stress, but because of how they breathe.
1: Yep, exactly, mm. exactly.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned this interesting name, the technique. There's a Boyetka. boyetka? <laughs> See, maybe you'll have to say it, sorry.
1: Botteiko. Botteiko. Botteiko, <laughs> okay. yeah. What, what
0: is Botteiko?
1: Well, Botteiko, well, it's it's a name. Um, it, it comes from the name Professor Konstantin Botteiko. Okay. And it's a Russian name. Right. Uh, uh, he was a man who was born in the 1920s. Hmm. He had a great interest in all things moving, machinery, and uh, worked on a farm. He went off to war and felt incredibly helpless as a as a medic and came back and decided he would study medicine, study the greatest machine, his, his interest in how things okay. work. And so he studied the human body and he developed a real interest in his training in breathing. In fact, apparently he would wander the wards at night and sit next to people and watch them breathe. Hmm. And one of the things he noticed was that people who are unwell breathe differently to people who are well. And he wondered whether changing how a person breathes when their health is not optimal would change their health. And he, so he, he set up a huge laboratory. Uh, this was actually in the days of the, um, the, the Cold War, the space wars between Russia and the, the US. US okay. So he was able to get a lot of funding to mm. research breathing. And he had a huge laboratory where he... Where he looked at people's breathing and tested parameters and did research and he did indeed find that if you changed how a person breathed you could impact their health positively if they were breathing in an unhealthy way
0: right okay so you say breathing in an unhealthy way can we under breathe or can we over
1: breathe Uh, (laughs) you know you can do either okay you can do either but the vast majority um, 99% of people I see are actually over-breathing.
0: Over-breathing?
1: Over-breathing, yeah, yeah. Now, most of us, it can be a real struggle to get ahead around this because, mm. you know, we do understand that oxygen is important and we often think that if we breathe more, we'll get more oxygen.
0: Yeah, uh, more of a good thing. Yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, but that more of a good thing is not always good.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you can you can overdrink you can drink too much water. Yeah, that's true. You can sleep too much. Hmm. Uh, and you can eat too much.
0: Well, that's right. Uh,
1: yeah, and you can you can actually breathe too much. And when you do that it upsets certain um, gases in your system, the oxygen okay. and carbon dioxide levels particularly. So uh, yeah, breathing breathing properly is, is very important. So your question, yes, um, over-breathing is much more of a problem than under-breathing.
0: Right. Okay, because I was actually thinking an issue when I thought, okay, well, obviously that person's just not breathing enough or they're breathing too shallow, not having, obviously, the, uh, the medical background uh, that you have and understanding of it. So the over-breathing, so what does over-breathing do to the human body?
1: Well, that's a really good question uh you know in the atmosphere we basically have three gases we have nitrogen right which is about 78% uh, something like that okay. 78% and it's what we call an inert gas so when you breathe it when you breathe it in uh it doesn't really interact with the body not unless you go deep sea diving and then okay. of course you know it does interact with the body and you can end up with the bends but mm. At normal atmospheric pressures, uh, nitrogen does not interact with the body. Oxygen is about 21% of the atmosphere. Okay. And when we breathe in, the air that we breathe in is about 21% oxygen. Hmm. When we breathe out, it's about 18%. So okay. we only take in a small part of the oxygen in the air,
2: hmm.
1: which is really important. You know, this this to wow. me is evidence of a creator because he's created a huge reserve in the amount of oxygen that's actually in the atmosphere. And we can call on that when we need to exert ourselves Mm. heavily or if there's a depletion of oxygen Mm -hmm. in the atmosphere. So we only take on a small amount of that oxygen. So about
0: three, 3% three of it disappears out of the total gas that you take of the, in. So of the 21%. From the 21%, it drops down to 18
1: Yes, yeah. And this is okay. exactly why CPR works.
0: I was just going to say, because I always wondered if someone has just used up all that oxygen and they're breathing into someone else's lungs, there's no oxygen left. But you're saying there's still 18% yes. of the gas going exactly. into the other person is still oxygen. Yes. And they can still extract oxygen from it then.
1: That's exactly right. So breathing harder doesn't always necessarily give us more oxygen because it's plenty of okay. oxygen in the atmosphere yeah and our body's good at extracting what we need right so unless we increase our exertion we don't really need to increase our breathing mm. the other gas that is very important to us of course is carbon dioxide okay and it exists at 003 percent in the atmosphere which is very 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 tiny yes it not is. much yeah. at all in the human lung however it's much higher so when we when we breathe in it's percent When we breathe out, it can be anywhere from 3% to
0: 6%. Okay, so there's a significant, there's like a 100-fold plus increase in... Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. So the difference between 0.03% yeah. and 6% is actually 200. 200%, yeah. 200%. Mm. So that means you, if you start breathing a little harder than you need to, you can very quickly alter the amount of carbon dioxide that's in your bloodstream. Okay. And that has ramifications for the human body. Mm. So we, we know that gases move from areas of high concentration to areas of low concentration. That's, yes. That's just how it works. And so um, if you drop that level of carbon dioxide in your body, um, certain things can happen that okay. adversely affect your health.
0: Hmm. So is there an, an optimal uh, balance of how much you've got to have in your body? And if, you, if you've messed with that balance, like with wrong breathing, mm. um, what are the effects, basically? Okay. So maybe maybe the first question first, and then we get to the, yeah, <laughs> the sure. effects of it. Yeah, sure.
1: So the optimal levels in the body, gen- generally, it's accepted to be about three point five percent to six percent in the human lung.
2: Okay.
1: I measure it in millimeters of mercury. It's a bit like the, your blood pressure. Okay. okay. Is measured in millimeters of mercury. Um, carbon dioxide, the partial pressure of mm. carbon dioxide in your in your lung, can be measured as well in millimeters of mercury. And I look for levels when I do my testing between 35 and 50. Okay. So many people actually have much lower levels than that and that's when Mm. it starts to cause symptoms.
0: Right, okay. So can we maybe start talking about some of these symptoms? Because there might be people out there listening at the moment and they might be saying, listen, I I think I've got some of those symptoms. Maybe (laughs) my breathing is not what it should be.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about what carbon (laughs) dioxide does in the human body. And look, let me say, most people think it's just a a poison you've got to get rid of. Mm. There's nothing that's further than the truth. Uh, Keeping your carbon dioxide levels within certain parameters is something your body automatically does unless we get unwell and and our body systems get a bit messed with. Mm. But one of the things it does, carbon dioxide in the in the body, is it actually dilates our our bronchi, so our okay. airways. Hmm. So our airways actually expand up when we have enough carbon dioxide. Okay. So and it it, it happens for this reason that our airways are aligned with smooth muscle, hmm. and smooth muscle relaxes whenever carbon dioxide levels are in the normal range or okay. higher. And so if your carbon dioxide level is low, if you've been breathing harder than you need to for, for what your body needs at any point in time, your carbon dioxide level becomes low and then what happens is the smooth muscle in your airways constricts.
2: Okay. And so it impacts the lung capacity then, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. This
1: is primarily what um, causes asthma is that right. these, these airways constrict down and then you find it hard to get in, air in and out, particularly mm. out.
0: Well, so, that's, a, that's a significant impact, isn't
1: it? Yeah. And look, the research studies show this, that um, asthmatics typically and, and chronically have low levels of carbon dioxide in their expired breath. Mm.
0: So if I was a, a layperson, I had no idea about this breathing, and I've got asthma, i thinking, well, I need to breathe and really focus on my breathing and breathe a lot. But what I'm actually doing is I'm actually not helping myself. In effect, I could be hindering myself because I'm reducing the, the CO2 levels in my bloodstream, yeah. which then has the restrictive effect on the smooth muscles, and therefore the lung capacity is reduced, and that's exactly the opposite of what I need.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. So, um, and we'll talk more about some of the other effects that happen with asthma as well. Um, We'll get a a complete picture of it. Okay, good. So the other thing that it does, because carbon dioxide relaxes smooth muscle, all our arteries are made out of smooth muscle. They're lined with smooth muscle. Hmm. And so this was actually how um, good old Professor Bateco discovered some of this, was he discovered that in people with high blood pressure that often their carbon dioxide levels were lower and so their their, um, vessels were constricting. Mm. And when you you raise the carbon dioxide level, when people returned to normal breathing and weren't over-breathing anymore, then those arteries would relax and open up. So, and that's related to the fact that carbon dioxide relaxes smooth muscle. So, it opens the airways, it opens the blood vessels, Uh, and there's other smooth muscle in the in the body as well. Our G I T system is made out of smooth muscle, and so low carbon dioxide level can affect the G I T system in some people, and they end up with reflux, um, which is you know, the stomach acids, the pepsin in the stomach rising up into the esophagus and sometimes even mm. the airways.
0: So GRT, just to break that down, is it ah, G gastro- stands for the
1: gastrointestinal tract. Gastrointestinal tract, okay. <laughs> yeah, so our stomach and intestines, yeah.
0: Wow. Well, there's a few we've mentioned so far. Are, are we exhausted the list or is there more things that are impacted? Oh, impact the- there
1: are more things. You know, the bladder is also made out of smooth muscle. Oh. And so uh, as, as we get older, you, many people have to get up in the night hmm. to go to the toilet and – we often find with breathing retraining that once people we help people normalize their nighttime breathing that they don't need to get up as often in the night because their bladder is more relaxed because it's smooth muscle. Yeah. And also there's some other mechanisms that can happen to that switch on urine making at night that can happen if we're not sleeping properly. And if we're not breathing properly, that's one of the big disturbers of good sleep. Mm.
0: And when you're particularly tired and you wake up in the middle of the night, you go, well, look, I can't wait anymore. I've got to go to the loo. That can disrupt your sleep quite a bit. Absolutely. And if it happens more than once a night, that's not a good thing I can understand. And then the next morning you wake up and, you know, sleeping is so important to our well-being and, you know, our cognitive ability. Absolutely. Uh, I, can, I can see how the, the breathing one thing affects another, and before you know, there's a whole lot of other things that actually affect your overall well-being. Yeah, yeah, mm, fascinating.
1: So there's some of the things that carbon dioxide does. Another thing that carbon dioxide does in the human body is it blocks histamine release. Now, okay. Histamine. You've probably heard about of, of an antihistamine. What do uh, you do uh, if you've got allergies?
0: Okay, you take an antihistamine.
1: You take an antihistamine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But carbon dioxide is actually a natural antihistamine. So what happens if your carbon dioxide levels are low? If you're over-breathing, maybe you're mouth-breathing and that's causing you to over-breathe, hmm. then your um, histamine, your carbon dioxide levels are low and this causes histamine to be released in the body and so you have right, much right. stronger allergy responses than you might otherwise have.
0: mm so, what kind of allergies could this be? More than just pollen. I mean, you know, some people get the
1: firstly your airborne allergies. Okay, yeah, but, but there could be other even non-airborne, yeah, yeah. So, even yeah. food allergies potentially? Potentially, but okay. mainly your airborne more, allergies. More, okay,
0: right, yeah. right, understand. Yeah. Right.
1: So, something else carbon dioxide does is it it calms the nervous system. We all we have two nervous systems in our body. We have what we call the sympathetic nervous system okay. and the parasympathetic nervous system. And I liken this to a car with an accelerator and a brake. So the sympathetic okay. nervous system is like putting your foot on the accelerator.
0: So, so that is the sympathetic one, from the accelerator. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: So it's the one that revs up our heart rate, revs up our breathing rate, and it gets right. us ready for the fight or the flight, mm. basically. Okay. Whereas the parasympathetic nervous system is what puts the brakes on all of that. It slows us down, it prepares us for sleep, and helps us feel calm.
0: Okay. So you need both.
1: We need both. We okay. need a balance between both. And right. we all know people who've had a, an imbalance one way or
0: the other. <laughs> <laughs> Either hyperactive or not active enough. Yes, exactly. Okay. <laughs>
1: exactly. And so yeah. what, what carbon dioxide does is it stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system. Mm. Uh, it actually makes us feel calmer. Okay. And so kids with low carbon dioxide, they're more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD. Uh, people with panic disorder and anxiety sometimes are suffering with low carbon dioxide um, syndrome. So that is something that can respond to better breathing. Oh. Uh, it also balances our, our our body pH, our blood pH. Oh, that's a really complicated one, so yeah. the medical people are interested in that, but I won't bore our
0: listeners but with that yeah, one, today. P- The pH is important because, I mean, I know that uh, a lot of people who have a pH imbalance, for example, can even have effects of osteoporosis and even brittle bones Exactly, that. And yes, So breathing yes. can even have an impact on that.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And for the wow. simple reason, I'll just explain a tiny little bit of it.
0: Okay.
1: When you dissolve carbon dioxide in water... You get a substance called H2CO3, which is um, hydrogen uh, carbonic acid. Okay. Hydrocarbonic acid. Yeah, because the more okay.
0: oxygen you have in there, the the more acidic it becomes. I think someone's explained more to me. The more
1: carbon dioxide. More carbon dioxide. The more carbon dioxide. The, the more CO2 that
0: you have in there. Yeah,
1: the more CO2 that you have in the water, yeah. um, it becomes, it's, it's, it's an acid. And so your body regulates your okay. pH second by second through your breathing rate. mmm And so, if if your little chemoreceptors that govern your breathing rate have been um, not working as well as they should, then um, it changes our body pH.
0: Wow. So, we take just breathing for granted and we just think, well, how simple is that? But uh, there's actually a lot of factors that can be affected by overbreathing because this is what we're primarily talking about at the moment. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the other thing you mentioned, uh, obviously after the the pH, you're talking about breathing uh, or sleep apnea. Um, yeah, episode? yeah.
1: So sometimes, um, particularly central sleep apnea, is uh, sometimes caused by low carbon dioxide at night because it's the breathing driver. It's the thing that actually keeps us breathing. Most people think that if you hold your breath for fifteen, twenty, thirty seconds, and you feel a really strong desire to breathe. Hmm. They think that it's the oxygen dropping in your bloodstream that makes you want to breathe. Okay. It's not. It's actually the rising carbon dioxide levels. Once again, another evidence of a creator, hmm. because it means that um, you have a greater reserve in your in your blood supply of oxygen. Yeah. That you can still call on even if, for some reason, you can't breathe for a minute. Okay. So your carbon dioxide keeps you breathing. Particularly at night, the other mechanisms that keep us breathing tend to be switched off, and so at night it's purely your, the carbon dioxide level in your blood mm. that keeps you that keeps you breathing. Yeah. And so if it drops down, and then you might experience um, some pauses in your breathing, and and that's what we call central sleep apnea.
0: Right. Well, dear listener, you are listening to Life Learnings, and my special guest in the studio is Lee Ann Smith who is a person that has a fascinating occupation. She is a health uh, practitioner, but in breathing and also orofacial uh, orofacial myologist. Now, if people want to get in touch with you, just before we go to the break, uh, where can they get your details Do you have a website?
1: Yes, I do have a website. And it's simply this, Breathe Vitality, B-R-E-A-T-H-E. Okay. Vitality, V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y. All one word? All one word, breathevitality.com.au. Okay. And you can contact me, my details also on my, my website.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, do you listen? We're just going to take a short break here, and we'll be right back after this message. Stay tuned. God told Gideon that Gideon was going to lead Israel to a great victory over their bitter enemies. And Gideon wanted to be convinced he was about to do God's will. So he says to God in Judges 6 verse 37, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it's dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And then he did it again, but he asked God to let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And God twice granted the sign Gideon asked for. It's a good lesson for us. Before doing something bold for God, we should know that what we're about to do is actually His will. And when we ask God sincerely, one way or another, He will let us know. He told Gideon, and you can be sure that in the same way, He'll tell you. I'm John Bradshaw for It Is Written. Let's live today by every word. Dear listener, welcome back to the program. I'm glad you've joined us here on Life Learnings. This is part two, and I'm talking to a fascinating guest in my studio. Her name is Leanne Smith, and she is a breathing practitioner and an myologist. Now, just before the break, we were talking about some fascinating aspects of breathing and how sometimes you think, well, I'm not breathing well enough. I need to breathe more. You could actually be hurting yourself rather than helping yourself, and it has to do with the CO2 levels. Now, I'm just speaking as a layman here. But that CO2 levels can have a lot of negative effects on the body. So there's some things that I thought I knew about breathing that I've just uh, – it's just been put on its head. And I think, okay, well, the opposite is actually true. So, Leanne, maybe just as a recap what we spoke spoken yeah. about before, please.
1: Yeah, Yeah, look, and you know, this is a common reaction that I get from people because there is a, the thought out there that – we need to breathe more. Mm. And if we're stressed, we particularly need to breathe <laughs> more. That's right. And what happens is that this can upset the balance of carbon dioxide and oxygen in the body. Mm. And when we lower the amount of carbon dioxide in our body because we're breathing too much, yeah. it has a cascade of effects in the body. And we talked about how um, carbon dioxide is important to relax smooth muscles. So mm. if the levels are low, then we get constriction of our airways. We get constriction of our arteries, Uh, our GIT system, our gastrointestinal tract might constrict a bit, giving us a reflux. Uh, We might need to empty our bladder more at night. So these are some of the things that happens when carbon dioxide is low. Mm. And one of the things that it does is this is one that people really struggle to get their head around, but carbon dioxide in the bloodstream actually helps improve oxygen transfer into the brain and the body cells. And so breathing too much can actually lower the amount of oxygen that transfers into the brain and the muscles and the organs of the body. Mm. Now, that's quite a leap. But yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: So you think, okay, well, I need more oxygen to the brain. I'm going to start breathing really deeply. And then you could have a negative effect. The opposite. Could
1: Absolutely. And that. this is what happens in a panic attack, which will We'll talk about in a minute. We'll talk about that in a minute. This
0: is fascinating stuff.
1: Yeah. So Mm. back in 19... I think it was 1903, 1906, somewhere in there, there Mm. was a a doctor by the name of Christian Bohr, um, and he discovered this principle that certain things improve the transfer of oxygen or inhibit the transfer of oxygen off the hemoglobin. Now, for all those medical people out of there, uh, th- th- this will cause you a little nightmare. You'll remember the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve from your lectures at university, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, doctors who work in intensive care and um, in accident emergency and in the theatre understand this very well. Mm. So, and basically, this is what it says. So, oxygen bonds onto the haemoglobin in your bloodstream. Okay. And the haemoglobin carries it around the body. Right. And I liken this to if you're going to move house, a truck might pull up at your house and you take all the furniture out and you put it in the truck and the truck drives down to the new location where you're going to live. Hmm. Well, that truck is like the haemoglobin. The it okay. carries the oxygen. Right. You don't take the, the furniture down there one piece at a time to hmm. your new house. You put it all in the truck because it's more efficient. And the haemoglobin carries oxygen very efficiently okay. in the human body. But when you get to the new house, how does the phoenix you get out of the truck into the new house? Does it? You, do you just open the doors and it all falls out?
0: Well, hopefully it And itself in?
1: <laughs> no, yeah. you've got to be intentional about getting yes. that phoenix you into the new house. Mm. And it's the same with oxygen that's been bonded to the hemoglobin. Mm. It has to be released. Now, okay. How does the body know to release the oxygen off the hemoglobin so that it can transfer into the brain tissue or into the muscles or the organs of the body. It knows to let go of the oxygen if there's enough carbon dioxide in the system. Oh. So if there's not enough carbon dioxide in the bloodstream, then the hemoglobin says, well, you don't need any more oxygen. I'm just going to hang on to it. And so the hemoglobin keeps that tight bond to the oxygen right. and it doesn't transfer to the cell. Mm-hmm. So... You've probably seen someone who's had a – I'm sure our listeners have seen someone who's had a panic attack at some stage of their life. Yes. And if you look at that person, are they breathing too little or are they breathing too much?
0: I their breathing is intensified and they're breathing deeper to try and help them relax. yeah yeah yeah
1: so they they might be breathing um, probably anywhere up to ten times as much as they need to Really So what we call a normal minute volume a minute volume is how much air you breathe in mm. one minute. So if you have if you're breathing at 10 breaths a minute yeah and you have um, a half a liter of air each time you breathe mm. that gives us a minute volume. Of about five liters a minute, okay. okay, so a normal a normal minute volume is four to six liters a minute. Someone in a panic attack might be breathing up to forty liters a minute, really, so they are breathing like a little steam train, they're mm. just absolutely breathing, but all the symptoms they're experiencing are actually symptoms of low oxygen, so they might feel really foggy in the head, they feel like fainting. They can't think, you know, you might have trouble communicating with them because their brain is simply just not working. Wow. They have tingling around their mouth. They might have tingling in their fingers and their toes. And all of these are signs of low oxygen, Mm. oxygen not being transferred into the cell. Uh, There's certainly plenty of oxygen bonded to their hemoglobin. There's plenty of oxygen in their blood supply. Yeah. But it's simply not breaking free of the hemoglobin So it can make its way into the the tissues of the body. And so what's the normal treatment for a panic attack? Well...
0: Okay, I've, well, I've seen this where they say take a plastic bag or a, a uh, paper, paper bag, bag <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, and then just put it around your mouth and your nose and just breathe in and out of that for yeah, a while. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so this is why this works, so the paper ah. bag. So basically what happens is they start to rebreathe their own carbon dioxide. Mm. Now, remember we talked a minute ago about how low carbon dioxide makes a person feel anxious. Yes. Uh, it, can, it can cause, in the chronic ways, you know, ADHD in children. So basically breathing into that paper bag, they start rebreathing their own carbon dioxide and this pushes the level up in their bloodstream again oh, so that the oxygen wow. can transfer. And they start to feel calmer. Mm. Uh, and the other thing that the, the breathing into a paper bag does, it slows the breathing rate down as well. It okay. provides a resistance to breathe against. And so this is why this particular technique works.
0: Mm. Well, that makes a lot of sense because I've seen it. I never knew why you had to do that. But I've just had to unlearn some things because I've once experienced a panic attack. And I remember just thinking, breathe, breathe. And I obviously was (laughs) (laughs) over-breathing and starving myself of oxygen. I was thinking I was filling myself with oxygen. But because of the way the body works, um, I was actually hindering the whole process rather than helping it.
1: That's often what happens, and other people around will be saying, "Breathe, breathe, breathe." But this mm. this poor person actually needs to breathe more quietly okay. and more calmly, and hopefully through the nose because that helps slow the breathing down as well, right. rather than through the mouth. Yeah.
0: Well, this is fascinating stuff. Okay, so over okay, overbreathing is an issue, um, where do we go next with, with with this? Because I'm I'm just learning so much as we as we're going through this.
1: Yeah, well, look, you know, I I have capnography equipment that actually... What's it called, sorry? Capnography equipment. Capnography, okay. Capnography equipment that actually tests the amount of carbon dioxide in the breath. Mm. And so when people come and say, look, I've got a breathing problem, and maybe they've got asthma, maybe they suffer with panic disorder, maybe they've got chronic allergies, um, sometimes they just know that they're not breathing properly and they feel short of breath, but their doctors tell them there's nothing wrong. right. Um, that's not an uncommon picture as well, and so I hook them up to my capnography equipment, which actually just tests the amount of carbon dioxide in their breath. Mm. And um, from that, we know whether they're overbreathing all the time, just chronically, or whether they just overbreathe in certain situations. And so we we do some testing around that.
0: Okay, so we're talking about breathing now. I know that you know the eight laws of health, which is promoted by the Seventh Adventist Church. One of those is air. Now, air, obviously, if you don't breathe, air means nothing to you. So <laughs> so breathing would be an important part of that. So maybe can you just tell us um, the background to that and why that's always been presented as important? because typically you think, okay, well, air is important, so therefore I have got to make sure I get a lot of it in. So we may have a tendency to want to overbreathe in because of that.
1: yeah, look, when i when I got interested in in breathing retraining, This was one thing that I really had to research through because I am very much a proponent of the eight laws of health Mm. and air, good, pure air is one of these. And of course, the implication around that is that you breathe more. And so I thought, how does this fit with what some of our church pioneers who particularly instilled in our church, the uh, idea that perhaps we needed to breathe more. How mm. does this actually fit? Mm. And so I, I went back and, and looked at what a lot of the pioneers in our church actually said about breathing. And um, we had a very prominent doctor, uh, John Harvey Kellogg. Oh,
0: yes. He was well ahead of his time.
1: Was well ahead of his time. Yeah. And, and basically we have the cereals now, the Kellogg cereals that right. he left as a legacy. Mm. But So what did he say about breathing? And I was interested in this. And I, back then they called it carbonic acid. They didn't talk about carbon dioxide.
0: Ah, okay. They
1: talked about carbonic acid because it was the carbon dioxide dissolved in the water, mm. in the plasma of the blood that was that was what they were talking about. And uh, uh, Kellogg basically called it a noxious poison. mm so thought, oh, okay, that's interesting. Okay. And then there were some other pioneers of the Adventist church, and I looked at what they said, and we have J.N. Loughborough, who also said it was a noxious poison, and ah. E.J. Wagner, who said it was a noxious poison, and James White yeah. himself, Ellen White's husband, yes. called it a noxious poison, and Uriah Smith called it a noxious poison. Okay, well-prominent, well-known pioneers exactly. of the church. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But I was most interested in what Ellen White might say about breathing. Yeah, because she was a leading pioneer of our church and mm. we believe that God, you know, communicated with her. Sure. So she talks about breathing in much the same language as, as some of these men. But you know what? She does not call carbon dioxide a noxious poison. Mm. She does not mention it at all. She talks about the virtues of healthy breathing in very similar language to these men. And she talks about the wonders of oxygen, but never once mentions Carbon dioxide okay. or carbonic acid, as they talked about back then. Mm. Which is really amazing, considering that um, when you read the writings of, of these pioneers, they often copied each other. Okay. So either these men copied what she wrote and added their own thoughts, that mm. carbon dioxide was a noxious poison, yes, or she um, copied what they wrote but left that out. Mm. Um so I for me this is this is evidence that Ellen White was truly was truly a prophet because right, okay. what she said about breathing is absolutely right on the money mm. with what science tells us today.
0: Okay, so there's some statements by Ellen White that uh, addresses breathing and uh, the importance of it and in, in health?
1: Yes, she talks about what a good respiration means. Okay. And she talks about how it soothes the nervous system.
0: I have read that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And
1: now we know that it's maintaining a good, uh, the, the normal amount of carbon dioxide in okay. the system that soothes the system. And that if you overbreathe, uh, you you can become quite anxious. Mm. Um, some of the other things she says, she talks about um, deep breathing. Now, I, I tend not to talk about deep breathing because this can be a little bit confusing. Deep breathing yes. can mean deep in the lung, down mm. near the diaphragm okay. Or it can mean a great humongous big breath okay. uh, So I, I tend to avoid the term But if you think about the context of the times In which Ellen White lived The women wore very tight corsets Around the waist right? And so they tended to chest breathe In fact a lot of people today tend to chest breathe And when I look at their breathing I can see their diaphragm's not moving at all Okay. And so what happens is if you chest breathe, you're much more likely to overbreathe. And I think mm. this is probably why, when women wore very tight clothing around the middle that the restricted the, the, the movement of the diaphragm, they were much more likely to faint.
0: Yes. I've, I've seen some of these uh, old movies and how often they faint and they have to sort of revive them again yes. without a fright. Yes. And okay. So and that's women. actually true. That's true.
1: <laughs> yeah, women don't faint like that today. No,
0: I haven't seen that <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, I've seen some, uh, I've seen some um, groomsmen fall over at oh, weddings. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think this is related to the very tight um, corsets that women wore around mm. their middle. And Elamite says that, you know, we should have unrestricted movement yes. of the lungs during breathing. Mm. So she understood that this very tight uh, clothing around the um, the middle was not, was not healthy. Yeah. Um, I just I found that study very interesting and it confirmed for me that science today has, has got it right.
0: Okay. Well, fascinating. Before you mention something about mouth breathing,
1: can you just unpack yeah. that all yeah, mouth us. breathing yeah yeah look you know i don't think there's a dentist in this country that does not realize that today a mouth breathing is the leading cause of crooked teeth and wow they they look in a child's mouth and they see the damage that's caused by crooked teeth but they don't necessarily know so see the damage caused by mouth breathing but they don't necessarily know how to help the child move to um, nasal breathing. Okay. And so it's just easier to to rely on orthodontics when a child is older to get the teeth sorted out. Mm. But how does this work? This ha- Well, if you take your one hand, so if our listeners take one hand, spread your fingers out a little bit and curl them. Right. And pretend that that's your upper jaw, okay? Mm. And your little fingers are your teeth. Okay. okay. So they're the teeth in your upper jaw. And then you take your other hand, and you fit your other hand up in, that, in that, the, the first hand and you pretend that that is the tongue, okay? Right, okay. Now what the tongue does, is a very strong little muscle and it exerts an outward pressure mm. on the teeth, okay? Right. So if your tongue is not up in the top of your mouth, then you do not get the pressures in your mouth to push the growth of that top jaw outwards and mm. forwards, and so the structures around the outer face, the, the skin and the muscles that lie over the top of your upper jaw, exert greater pressures, mm. and the jaw does not push out and grow out. And so wow. then there's not enough room for the teeth to come down. Mm. Now, every child has the potential to grow a face that fits its teeth.
0: Right. Okay. That's fascinating. Uh, nowadays, the problem is they have too many teeth. But the problem is not too many teeth. The problem is just that the, the, the jaw, the jaw and the has development not
1: grown enough
0: to fit all the teeth. Yes. So that the teeth yes. aren't the problem. The jaw's the problem.
1: That's exactly right. Okay. So this is basically about altered craniofacial development. Mm. And, in fact, if you look at pictures of um, yesterday's um, movie stars, yeah. if you look at people like Liz Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, you'll see these big, wide... Beautiful faces. Mm. Uh, You look at the movie stars today and you'll see that they have much, much narrower faces than they did back in yesteryear. Right. And it's um, because of a change to lifestyle, change to what people eat, change to to how people breathe.
0: So there's a number of factors and breathing being one of those.
1: Breathing is one of those. Mm. So basically... If you're breathing through your mouth, then you have to drop the tongue down into a low position to open the airway. And so if the tongue is not up in the top of the mouth, if you've got to breathe through your mouth, the tongue is low. And so all those structures that we just talked about, the skin and the muscles on the outside of the mouth, Mm. create a stronger pressure. And so then the jaw doesn't grow outwards like it should. Right. And um, the other thing is that today... Our diets are not what they used to be. Uh, a f- few years, you know, 50, 100 years ago, um, children were breastfed for much longer, mm. which created much wider faces because okay. um, breastfeeding has a different type of sucking action to to a bottle. So children tend to be um, weaned from the breast earlier. Then they um, may have a, a bottle or a dummy and they're, they're weaned to very soft foods. So they might have... Um, pureed foods, um, mashed foods, as they grow up, they're more likely to be drinking yogurts, eating ice cream,
2: oh, okay.
1: biscuits that melt in the mouth, things that don't stimulate a lot of chewing. Mm. And it's the jaws like any um, part of the body. you need to exercise it to grow okay. it. You know if you've got yeah. osteoporosis and you go to the doctor and they say, yeah, let's do some lifestyle things here. They'll encourage you to go and exercise mm. to help your osteoporosis. Well, the jaw to stimulate growth needs lots of exercise to okay. stimulate the, the, the blood flow to the jaw. Mm. And um, we don't have mothers and grandmothers that tell us anymore, chew your food 20 times before you swallow it. Right, yes. And we don't eat a lot of raw food. You know, those raw apples and carrots and cabbages and broccolis and even lettuce requires a lot of chewing. Mm. And so because we're not chewing, we don't get the growth of that upper jaw. And this has really changed the way the human face is actually looking. And so the, okay. the numbers of children with um, crooked teeth have gone to just around 5 to 10% to over 80% in one generation.
0: Is that right? That's a significant change, isn't
1: it? That is a massive change. That is mm. a massive change. Yeah.
0: So the the factors that can change these you know these facial developments. So is mouth breathing? Would that be
1: absolutely? So children today are more likely to develop allergies that block their nose, and then they end up switching to mouth breathing, which causes over breathing okay. and some of the problems we've talked about. But it also means that if they're mouth breathing, then the upper jaw is not going to grow as it should, okay. and then they'll end up with crooked teeth.
0: Wow. Okay, and then the second one, as far as those factors that influence, you've got the the mouth breathing being, what, number one?
1: Yes, hmm. yeah, the dietary factors. Dietary factors. And well. no okay. longer breastfeeding children as long as Breast we feeding, used to. Breastfeeding, so that's number three, basically. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Wow. yeah. yeah. So
0: the long-term consequences of these, of these well, changes, I mean.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really sad because a child who doesn't grow their jaw Outward as far as they need to, they might end up with orthodontics. so or have some teeth removed, um, which means that the jaw will never really achieve its potential growth. Mm. That means that the child's airways are going to be smaller, oh. because the size of the child's airways is related to the size of the jaws and the mouth. And in mm. fact, if you look at if you look at the face, basically the top of the mouth is the floor of the nose. And so the nose will be thinner, Uh, the internal part of the nose will Mm. not be as wide, they're more likely to get blocked nose and keep this problem going. And so if you've got smaller airways, that means you're more likely to develop some sort of sleep breathing disorder later in life. And so the rise of snoring and sleep apnea that we're Mm. seeing is related to the smaller airways that we now have as a result of these changes in the last generation.
0: Well, that's incredible because we spoke about the importance of, obviously, the things that keep you alive. Now, you can maybe go without food for a month or so. Mm. You can go without water for seven days or so, mm. I guess, depending mm. on, you know, temperatures and that. But breathing, it's a matter of minutes and you've lost it. So if those airways are smaller and the the, the, the air that you're bringing into your lungs, you're breathing more shallow, breathing more thre- frequently instead of breathing relaxed and slowly – all those factors are going to have a very negative impact on your health. They do.
1: And so what happens is, you know, for children who do end up with smaller airways and they struggle to breathe at night, and you'll often notice a child that's struggling to breathe, they'll have their head tipped back to try to open up their airway. Okay. And uh, their body is pumping adrenaline all night because their airway is under threat. Mm. We're seeing more and more kids with snoring and sleep apnea which is really sad. And snoring impacts the development of a child's brain. They struggle more in the classroom. They'll struggle more in the playground with relationships. They'll struggle more with their fine motor skills. A whole range of things. They're more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD, 1.5 to 2 times more likely to be diagnosed with ADHD if they're snoring. Um, and, And small airways can help bring all of this about. So, mm. these are things that basically, I think the most important, one of the most important things a parent can do to set a child up for good health through life is to make sure that they're breathing through their nose. Okay. And that they've, their tongue is resting in the right position in the mouth, which is what the oral facial myology is all about.
0: Right, okay. So uh, we've only got a few minutes left, but, uh, you know, are there any suggestions, take-home suggestions, you know, that that, that kids uh, or parents can make sure that their kids uh, can take on to to help them with all these?
1: Yeah, sure, sure. So as we just mentioned, number one thing, if your child is not breathing through their nose, you need to find out why. Okay. And perhaps their nose is blocked. Perhaps they've developed a habit that needs Mm. correcting. Um, And even if they are... To make sure that the tongue is in the top of the mouth. And that's what we okay. do as oral facial myologists is we work with getting the tongue up into the top of the mouth. This is what God designed for how the body works, to to breathe through the nose because it filters out the bacteria and the allergens and, and keeps a person healthy. Feed your children crunchy foods. Okay. They need to be exercising their jaw muscle along with everything else. Uh, these days, sometimes I think children just inhale their food. <laughs> really soft stuff, you know. Yes. Soft white bread, mm. um, mashed potato, uh, other things that just crunch down really, really quickly and easily. But get your children eating raw food so that they're okay. exercising their mouths and, and remind them to chew their food properly before they swallow it because this is all exercise mm. for the upper jaw. Encourage a child to play outdoors rather than use electronic devices indoors. We haven't talked about the, the, the impact of electronic devices on airways today, but that's another right. discussion that we could have. Oh, wow. Um, but suffice to say that the best strategy for your children in terms of healthy development is, is outdoor play. Mm. If your child is snoring, absolutely get help. It is not normal to snore, and it adversely affects the growing brain in children. Uh, there is suggestions now in the research that snoring causes low levels of permanent brain damage, really? and so it needs to be addressed. If you've got a child that's snoring, this is something you've got to address. And if your child is developing crooked teeth, mm. get onto it early. The get earlier, onto it. the better, I'd imagine. Absolutely, yeah. oral facial myology can actually turn around the development of the jaw, and the development of the teeth so basically i could if we were if we had a visual medium here i could show you pictures of children who've had breathing retraining and what has happened to their teeth as a result of breathing retraining Mm. you can save big money on orthodontist bills by getting onto your child's habits facial habits early in life right okay plus proof them against snoring and sleep apnea later in life as well
0: Mm. Yeah, I've been fascinated just by you know talking to friends and then people saying, "Oh, I didn't sleep well because my kid was snoring." I go, well, kids don't snore; it's no. old people that snore. But we, more and more, I'm hearing of kids that are actually snoring, and this that's is, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. is fascinating. So, just in in uh, closing. Uh, Can we just share your contact details again in in case people want to get in touch with you? Because, I mean, this has been fascinating stuff. And I personally would like to know a little bit more. I'm just thinking there's a few bad habits that I picked up. I think I was helping myself, but I was perhaps (laughs) hindering myself. So knowledge is important.
1: Yeah, look, the best way to get uh, in contact with me is through my website. And that is Breathe Vitality, B-R-E-A-T-H-E, Vitality, V-I-T-A-L-I-T-Y, AU. all one word, breathevitality.com.au.
0: Okay, fantastic. And you operate from Toowoomba, that's where I you practice? I operate from
1: Toowoomba, but I also consult with people over Skype.
0: Oh, There's okay. not
1: a lot of breathing retrainers and oral facial myologists around, but um, most of us work by Skype as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, I want to thank uh, my special guest in the studio, Lee Ann Smith, for sharing her expertise. And dear listener, I, I've just been fascinated by what I've had to hear. And uh, I, I know no doubt you would have been as well. It's interesting how some of the things I thought I was doing to help myself, especially if you're feeling a little bit panicky, a little bit stressful, may actually have been hindering myself rather than helping myself. But if you haven't got those contact details written down, you're welcome to contact us here at 3ABN Australia. You can ring us on zero two four nine. Or you're welcome to email us At radio At 3ABNAustralia.org.au Or you can even contact us On our 3ABN Australia Radio Facebook page We would love to hear from you Thank you for joining us again today Here on Live Learnings We look forward to catching up with you next time Until then, God bless